even something as silly as going to Disneyland can be a spiritual practice in like going like, I'm not going to resist this long line. I'm going to say yes to this long line. I'm going to say yes to the the kind of shitty food they have at Disneyland. It's not good. And you have to eat and have heartburn while you're on, you know, Space Mountain or whatever. There's a quote in Taoism that I heard from Ram Dass where he says, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And that to me is like the whole thing. Welcome to another episode of Airplane Mode. I'm your host, Clay Skipper. Today's episode is fun, I think, I hope. Today's guest is Pete Holmes. You might know him from HBO's Crashing, which he starred in, or you might know him from his very funny podcast, You Made It Weird. He also has a book out now, Comedy Sex God. In that book, he goes through his upbringing, his childhood, how he got where he is today, and he details how, you know, to get where he is today, he had to leave behind a lot of things that were important early on in his life. He got married pretty young. He was raised in the Christian faith. He ended up getting a divorce from that marriage. He ended up sort of questioning his Christian faith. And when he's writing about those things, he uses the phrase making friends with change. I thought that could be sort of an interesting thing to discuss with Pete. So I brought him on to talk about that. He ended up sharing an incredible story at the end when he talks about his favorite fuck up involving uh, Regina Spector. He also had some good insights on how expectations can dampen our ability to enjoy our present reality. And he used the great phrase how to have sex with everything that is. So hope you guys get something out of it. Pete Holmes, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be on. We are going to jump into some fun stuff, but first I have to ask you about Baby Driver because I've seen, <laughs> I've twice now, I've seen you reference how you just want, and once in your book, I believe, and once on your podcast, I've seen you yeah. reference how yeah. you just want to be yourself and admit that you don't like Baby Driver. I don't like Baby Driver. I didn't like Baby Driver. But I'm curious Driver. who in your life is like, listen, man, Baby Driver's great. Everybody loved Baby Driver. I feel like people thought that that's, I don't know if you've had this experience where I tend to not like things that people are like, you got to see this. It's so you. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, this movie is so your sensibility. And then you watch it and you're like, fuck you. That's what you think of me? What do you think people thought of you that, that they were well, like, oh, this Baby Driver movie is very you? I don't know. I, I think it because it was joyful. Like, it's not like I don't understand what people might like about it. But like I always say, like, I don't like musicals, but I'm not proud of that. A lot of dudes especially are like, I hate musicals. And they, they wear it like their identity. I don't like musicals. I didn't like Baby Driver. I wish my heart had been more open that day. And I don't think people are <laughs> idiots for liking it. But it's more about like, I've, I've just always wanted to live a, an authentic enough life that I could not wait to hear what other people think about a movie or something before I just say, you know, that wasn't for me. It doesn't mean it was bad. It just wasn't for me. Totally. Yeah. yeah, well, I feel like expectations always get in the way. Like, I go into so many movies that have been way overhyped, and totally. then it's like, it's a solid B, but because I expect it to be an A+, I come well, out I mean, that, like, that's a, I'm not forcing it. You know, my book is about spirituality. That is one of the biggest spiritual things that I've learned is like expectations lead to suffering in all sorts of, yeah. in low stakes situations and in high stakes situations. You know, it's like, I love that scene in 500 Days of Summer where they have it in two screens, you know, it's a split screen uh -huh, and it's what uh -huh. he was expecting it to be and what it actually was. That is a very deep, that is the essence of sort of the spirituality I'm driving at in, in the book, baby driving at, is, <laughs> nice. is that it's our resistance to what is that is causing so much pain internally and, and, and the pain that we give others is, is we think it's gonna be one way. Even just the idea that someone thinks I'll like something 
will sort of pollute the water and make me go, this is what they think I am? Like, they think I'm like a baby mm. driver? Like, fuck you. <laughs> So one thing you said in there ties really well into a quote I pulled down. I'm not sure it's from your book or from an interview, but I read you'd said, you know, having a good life is trying to not tell yourself a story of resistance in your head, which is exactly what expectations are, right? You have an idea of what a thing's going to be. Yep. And then when it's not that thing, you're like, you're trying to fit the the round peg of the experience into the square hole of your expectation. Yeah. I mean, you see this on, you know, you see when people go to like Disneyland or they go on vacation you see everybody like trying to live up to an expectation that they set for what a vacation should be, what they should look like. You know, this is what Instagram is. What, what should I look like on vacation? How should I appear? What food should I eat? What clothes should I wear? And, it, and it's so much pain and disappointment comes from reality. Like you, you just hate reality. One of the big points of Comedy Sex God is like you could enjoy one ride fully and it would make the day worthwhile like just just enjoying pirates would be better than running around like an insane person suffering because you think a successful day at disney is if you beat five lines and get on seven things and take this many photos like that's not where joy is joy is is in learning to say yes to what is and to surrender and to flow with what is even when it's what you don't want so, I mean, like everything, even something as silly as going to Disneyland can be a spiritual practice in like going like, I'm not going to resist this long line. I'm going to say yes to this long line. I'm going to say yes to the the kind of shitty food they have at Disneyland. It's not good. And you have to eat and have heartburn while you're on, you know, Space Mountain or whatever. There's a quote in Taoism that I heard from Ram Dass where he says, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And that to me is like the whole thing. There's that quote, it's like the world's not difficult, you are. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's not an asshole, you are, I would add to that. <laughs> like if everybody yeah. is like getting your goat and, and just making your blood boil, it's you. It's your story yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of how reality is supposed to be. You know, that is one of the most helpful things about that I've gotten from spirituality, which is saying yes to what is. Michael Gunger, my friend, wrote this amazing book called This, he talks about the precepts of Buddhism, and he's like, so much suffering comes from wishing this was that. I'm totally vibing. I agree with everything you're saying. Here's a problem I have, though, and it like, because I think about expectations a lot, and I think about trying not to have expectations, which is not the same as not having expectations. Yeah, I know. Right? And so I'm so curious on like a granular level how this actually happens, because I have a friend, for instance, who is all about no expectations. And I'm like, fuck that. You have to have expectations. Like, if you're going to a Knicks game or something, I, how do you not have expectations for that thing? This is why people don't want to, you know, for lack of a better word, we'll say wake up. Somebody wrote this book. that I forget. I think it's called Awake. And the first line is like the first, it's almost like the first rule of Fight Club. It's like the first step to waking up <laughs> is realizing you don't want to wake up. So Ram Dass calls this the dark night of the soul, you know, so St. John of the Cross. Is, it's the idea that when we lose our ego identification, we lose the thrill. We lose the, the juice of the chase. We lose some of that excitement. What's the Knicks game going to be? The reason why, you know, holy people can sometimes be celibate, not everybody. I don't think that's for everybody. It's not because sex is bad and they're resisting sex. It's because they're having sex with everything that is. You know what I mean? Ooh. They're having communion. Obviously, we've lost that narrative. Certainly, it, it, that idea has been ruined and tarnished and sexuality is fucked in the church. It's, it's horrible. But 
the original conceit was not to abstain from sex with people, but to have sex with every single moment. And so when you're excited for the Knicks game, that is fun. That's one of the rushes of the storyline of your life. You're excited for the Knicks and, and it's hard to lay those things down. I like equanimity. It's not happiness mm-hmm. and bliss and rapture all the time, but you can experience like a low bass hum of just sort of dissolving into everything all the time instead of chasing the highs and the lows of, of you know, it sounds so judgmental to say sensory pleasure, but I was recently eating ice cream I was on the beach. We went on vacation, me and my family. This is one of Ram Dass's great teachings for me, was that you're eating ice cream and you're happy, but as soon as you're done, you, you want water. You want a glass of water. You mm-hmm, know? And, mm-hmm. then and then when you're done with the water, now you have to go to the bathroom. Then you go to the bathroom and now it's time, you're bored. So then you watch TV and it's 2019, so you watch five hours of TV. And then, <laughs> and then you're tired. Just servicing our bodies and our stories uh-huh is fine. I do it too. But when we get lost in it and when we think that that's the only game in town, I think there's some suffering there because happiness is not a lasting phenomena in the human Mm -hmm. mind. But equanimity on the spiritual level or the soul level, or to use just scientific language, uh, on the level of base consciousness, just the phenomenon of consciousness, to dwell in that space, you can experience something that is equanimous regardless of how the Knicks game is, because the Knicks game is gone. This is what Buddha Mm -hmm. says. It's all on fire. You want to talk about making friends with change. Talk about Buddha. Talk about the world is on fire. That is one of his basic (laughs) ideas. It's on fire. The Knicks game is on fire. The ice cream is on fire. I'm on fire. Our memories are on fire. Our emotions are on fire. It's like when we're on our deathbeds, I don't think we're going to be looking back and going like, Remember that next game? I don't think that's the game we're yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about a quality of your consciousness that is not grasping, that is spacious, that is free. That's the place you want to be in, not only when you die, but also when you're in line for Pirates of the Caribbean. You want to be spacious. You want to be free now. I love the idea of the openness because uh, have you read the book Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism by... Uh, Trunkla uh, Rinpoche. I haven't read it, but w- one of my best friends was a disciple of uh, Trungpa Rinpoche. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah, one of the things he goes into is he talks about how love is not just about beauty. Like love is openness and openness includes darkness as well as light, right? And so I love that idea that it's not all the good stuff. It's not just the happiness. That's exactly what we're saying. When we talk about things happening for a reason, it's really, really important to note that that doesn't mean on the the ego level. So if we're talking about making friends with change, right? It's really easy for my father who is not a spiritual person, to understand that my wife left me in 2007. But it all worked out, Peter. You know, you got a TV show out of it, right? That's that's <laughs> ego level. That's story level. It's sort of the first level. It's the most obvious level. And on that level, I disagree. I disagree with the idea that everything happens for a reason. The ego mm-hmm. and our narcissism loves, and our, and our productivity, our Western productivity, loves the idea that you were hit by a car and you lost your job, but 
when you were in the hospital, you met a nurse that was your wife. And now you <laughs> now you're entrepreneurs and you run on Shark Tank and you sold a sponge that looks like a smiley face and you're billionaires. That's usually what people mean when they're like, look, it all worked out. Everything happens for a reason. God works in mysterious ways. And that's so deeply offensive to me because what we don't realize is my wife could have left me. I could have been depressed. Uh, I could have lost my faith. And then I could have been hit by a bus. Story over. Where's your redemption? Where, where's your nice Hollywood ending? That's nonsense. What we're talking about and what Ramdas is talking about is a sandpaper, like suffering and change, having a refining quality, not on your story, which as we already mentioned is on fire, but on your awareness, on your soul. Mm -hmm. When we're looking for like, you know, this happened, but I grew from it. That's it's fine. That has a place that, you know, it's called a Tony Robbins seminar. If you want to get into that, like, let's play a Cisco record and jump around and talk about how pain makes us stronger and how, you know, you got to sweat. Sweat is fear leaving your body. These are like mantras you hang up at the gym. I mean, that is not what spirituality <laughs> is about. That's all bullshit. There's something going on. You are not your story. You are not your suffering. Say yes to all of it because who you really are is what's looking out your eyes. And it's just awareness itself. And everything that happens to you is a lawful unfolding that's part of a bigger game that is to get you to wake up and to get us to wake up to ourself. That is a great characterization of spirituality. That's it. Well, what I think is funny, if you read like Ramana Maharshi's book, it's like four pages long. True spirituality takes about three minutes to verbalize. <laughs> I'm not saying explain, yeah. but you uh -huh, can uh -huh. say it. You can go, you're not who you think you are. Don't be attached to your story. Figure out well, that's all that stuff I was just saying. So we originally going to title this uh, Making Friends with Change, but I can tell you definitively now that we're definitely going to title it Have Sex with Everything That Is. <laughs> ah, there's a GQ title. Except now that every time I go to a Knicks game, I'm not going to be able to unthink about that metaphor. You can have sex with a Knicks game for sure. And you don't even have to, <laughs> here's the best part, you don't have to be thinking that. Thinking deep thoughts, like you were saying, trying to have no expectations is also bullshit. Trying mm -hmm. to be in the moment is bullshit. Trying to be spiritual is bullshit. And it's also exhausting it will yeah. tire you out so if you sit with your parents and have dinner with them and try to be present and try to be loving what you're doing is you're thinking about presence or you're thinking about love you need to become presence itself and you need to become love itself because it's so much bigger than you just rationalizing why you love your parents or yeah. thinking about the beautiful condensation on the outside of your ice glass. Like that might be a good way to get in there, but when you're in the flow, it's, it's a lot more natural. And to, to go back to your original sort of starting point, it, it is a practice and we have to be patient with ourselves. Like patience is a really important aspect of any spiritual journey. And a little bit of compassion for yourself is like, for me, I'm still trying and I still get lost and I still get fucked up and all that stuff. But like the good news is the more you do it and the longer you do it, you spend more time in that place and, hmm. and less time in, in your original place. And that and that's wonderful to share. I know some of this stuff is ineffable, but, you know, a phrase I like for what you were talking about, I think, is the phrase letting be. Yeah. But I'm curious if you like 
can you walk me through sort of like what your inner monologue is in a moment where you are sitting with your parents and you're like, this is frustrating the shit out of me. Like, how do yeah. you get yourself to that place of presence? Well, my, I use my parents because that is the most difficult example. It's so hard to be with yeah. people that are genetically similar to you and sort of, yeah. So I forget who said it, but they, they know how to push your buttons because they installed them. So ah. there's also that Zen saying that's like, you think you're Zen until you spend a weekend at home. Yeah. So David Nickturn, who's the student of Rinpoche that we were talking about, he told me about mm. something called the the fourth moment, right? So there's past, present, future. We can live in the future and that's, you know, anxiety. We can live in the past and that's like depression and dread often. And we can try as spiritual people, put that in quotes, <laughs> it's like <laughs> to be present, right? Nickturn was telling me his problem with that is when you're trying to be present, there's still someone trying to be present. You're still mm. lost in your identification with yourself. So the fourth moment is sort of a effortless, timeless presence. And that's really what we're going for. And one of the big points of the book is I don't want to think about love. I want to be love. And a better word for love, because love has been ruined by, you know, Martha Stewart and all, you know, all these things that have just, not her specifically, I'm just saying our culture has turned everything into like love. I love this and I love and be love. It's It just sounds like fucking trite nonsense. But it's, it's okay. Martha Stewart definitely doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> it's a good thing. But it's <laughs> it's the idea of getting into the place where you are love. So you're looking in your parents' eyes and you're seeing what they're doing. You're witnessing what they're doing. But you're just sort of, I love the word flow and spaciousness, you're just trying to say yes to it. But like, when you can just realize that everybody's stuck in these meat puppets, we're all like a little bit scared. <laughs> meat puppets. We're all, we're all a little bit alone. We're all a little bit confused. We're all floating on a space rock. It's a conundrum. We're all in this conundrum. And we're all sort of looking for other people to reflect back to us, love and yes, and affirmation, and just a little bit of, a little bit of agreement. I'm curious how your sort of changing from the Christian faith that you were brought up with to this sort of more soul consciousness, as you call it, and which I like, uh, mm -hmm. has affected your relationship with your parents and at all, if it's at all affected like their Christian faith. I don't know. I, I think it has in small ways. I think it really is a foolish endeavor to try and change our parents. I'm very careful in the book to be like, I'm not trying to convert anybody. But when I talk to my parents, I do catch myself trying to convert them. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want them to be like, you're right. We're so sorry. <laughs> Which is totally... Good against, luck. Good it, luck. Yeah, it's stupid. And it's even it's against my own message. Like, that's against my own beliefs yeah. of, of letting them be just as perfect as they are in their in their imperfection and in their everything. But, you know, I do, even though I'm trying not to hold out for it, every time I'm home, I, I see it getting through. One of the weird things about this game or this play is that like it? T you have to hear these ideas thousands of times. You can hear someone like St. Francis say, what you're looking for is what you're looking with. So you're looking for mm -hmm. God, but you're looking with God. You're looking with yeah consciousness. You're looking with awareness. When Moses asked God in the Old Testament what his name is, God says, I am, right? And when mm -hmm. I was a kid, I thought he was being cheeky. I thought he was being like, uh, don't worry about it. My name is uh, Steve, I am. You know, like he's just like, don't talk to me. But really, I see it now as, as the first metaphor for the idea of God is that anything exists. 
uh, God is isness, God is existence. And the weird thing is, so my point is, you can hear me explain that in my own mind pretty clearly. There it is, pretty clearly, right? Yeah. For yeah, yeah, yeah. some reason, you're going to have, especially if that's the first time you've heard that idea, you're going to have to hear it 5,000 more times. <laughs> well, you got to be ready to hear it, right? I feel like that's the case with so many cliches is yeah. you hear them and hear them and hear them. And then one time yeah. you hear them and you're like, oh, fuck, that makes sense. Yeah, like, you, believe in yourself. Duh, believe right, in yourself. Right. But you don't know until you're 34 and you're like, oh, okay. That's now right. I actually, I actually understand that because I've gone to years of therapy and done mushrooms. That's right. That's <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. But I, I don't think it's a flaw in the system. For some reason, that's just the way that it works. I guess this could be a shorter life if you would just understand that the first time you hear it. But so I say that, I see that with my mother and I see that with a lot of people, but mostly I see that with myself is that I used to listen to Ram Dass and he would say something like, you know, he'd, he'd read a poem or something about looking for God, not knowing how foolish that was. You know, lovers don't find one another. They're in each other all along. And I would hear that and I'd sort of be like, well, that's lovely. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what I thought. But then something breaks in you. It, it could be a divorce. It could be a, a suffering. It could be great love. It could be anything. And something softens. And this is what we call grace. It happens to you. And then the next time someone says what you're looking for is what you're looking with, you go, oh, right. I'm it. I, I am it. And that is what we call, if not entire, I can't, I can't claim total liberation, but I can say that is a taste of liberation. <laughs> But I imagine you have some cynical friends. I don't want to mischaracterize here, but I feel like the comedian is often characterized as a cynic, right? They are, yeah. And one of the things I encounter when I'm having these sort of super earnest discussions is a ton of cynicism, right? Because I'm a very credulous person. And so I want to sort of have these lofty, idealistic conversations that are full of vulnerability. But then people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Can we bring this back down to earth? You know, like I'm sure some people read that GQ Ram Dass piece. That was a plug. Pretty good for an early podcast like me to, yeah. to work in an organic plug like that. That was great. And they're like, I don't, I just can't relate to any of this. Totally. So how do you respond to someone who just like comes with that sort of armor of cynicism? I mean, it's sort of what we're talking about. It's like you have to allow it. I think it's really interesting when people quit smoking. These are typically the people that start telling smokers that it's going to kill them. Even though <laughs> when they were smokers, they didn't like when people would say, you know, that's killing you, right? But yeah, like as yeah. soon as we have a, a conversion experience of any kind, we sort of of like lose our ability to relate and we even start judging other people like i don't eat meat but i ate meat for 34 years so where the fuck <laughs> do i get off after six years of not eating meat and eating fish sometimes by the way so i'm even more full of shit telling people you know about the virtues of my new lifestyle like we need to remember and, and not lose touch with that's you like when your friend is being jaded or cynical, that's you. It's us. People sometimes ask me if I'm going to like try and convert my atheist friends. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is yeah. a, a worldview or, or a, a space of seeing the lawfulness and the belonging and the beauty in everything, including some pretty terrible things that we'll protest and we'll fight against and, and whatever and march for. But like, there's also a part of you that's like, I'm not here to change. I don't want Bill Maher to love Jesus. I want Bill Maher to be Bill Maher. I want Penn Jillette to be Penn Jillette. I want Ricky Gervais to be Ricky Gervais. These things are beautiful and essential. Yeah, but what about people who act in like really bad faith? Like Alex Jones. We don't want Alex Jones to be Alex Jones. No, I know. 
I prefer to talk about small suffering. The principles of small suffering, and this is as close as I'll get to addressing big suffering, the principles of small suffering do apply to big suffering. It's just really, really, really hard to talk about big suffering in that way. Talking about people who talk about things that get people shot in a pizza place. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like that, yeah. that yeah. is really, really difficult. I like to just, yeah. I'm going to bow my head and say it's out of my pay grade. It's not for me to say. And also people that are dealing with real big suffering don't need yeah. some shitty guy in L.A. being like, drinking a green juice and telling them that everything belongs. They'll find it in their own way and they'll they'll come about mm -hmm. it in their own way and I'll listen to them rather than me talking to them. That's fair, I think. I, I'm not just dodging the question. I actually am saying yeah. what I'm saying about small suffering does apply. But if you listen, like I love the mystic Muji. He's on YouTube. He's great. People talk, they'll ask him. He does a lot of satsang, like Q&A hangs. And people yeah. will come at him with like the Holocaust or school shootings or Alex Jones or whatever it is. And he'll usually, these people will usually say something like, look, I could explain it, but you're not going to like it and you're not going to get it. It's not, mm -hmm. it's almost mm -hmm. like you're not ready. Jesus is always saying, if you have ears to hear, you know what I mean? And I don't know if we always have them. I will say that I've been on psychedelics and been like, oh, the whole thing is an ocean. Everything is a wave. This is a point that Michael Gunger makes in his book, This. I think he has a great, yeah. amazing chapter on suffering. It's just really hard to tell somebody when they're suffering that they are a part of an ocean and the waves are sort of impersonal. I do want to talk real quick about you know something you touched on earlier and you talk about the book, which is the yes, saying yes, thank you to everything. Because mm -hmm. I think that is obviously such a great mentality if you can employ it. When did you learn that phrase and when did you first start using it? Yes, thank you is, I think, the most valuable thing in the book. And I, I tell people all the time that that is sort of all they really need to get started. I think when you say mantra, people you know, think I'm teaching a yoga class in Santa Monica. <laughs> and I am on Saturday. I'm just kidding. Uh, but <laughs> Nice plug. Yeah. <laughs> and also there's a GQ piece on Ramdas. But um, <laughs> it's the idea that a mantra is just something we repeat in lieu of letting your brain just do whatever it wants, like a fire hose. We give it something to concentrate on. You know, when I tried to teach my mother to meditate to make it less woo-woo, I was like, just say Jesus over and over. That's it. Just think the word Jesus over and over. until Did eventually. It work? In, no, of course not. It was, <laughs> it was still too weird for her. <laughs> oh, that's fine. But what I did was I, I realized when I would go to the museum, I was going to the museum to think about art. And when I would go to the botanical gardens here in L.A., I would go to think about trees. And you see people do this. You go, that's a big tree. You hear them say it. They go, this one's, yeah. be this one's beautiful. Or I've never seen this one before. So you hear them running a program. It's comparative. You go like, I have mm -hmm. seen this one before. I haven't seen this one before. That's how you're thinking about a white rose. You're going, <laughs> this one means friendship. Like it's all, you're being cock blocked by your brain. So you go to a museum, I would go to a museum and you'd you'd be looking for the name brands. You want to find the Picassos, go to the the Lou, everybody wants to see the Mona Lisa. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. all head shit. It's like any painting can get you if you don't as I say in the book, don't consume it, but let it consume you. And that's a that's a fun thing to say, but how do you do that? The way that I found to do it, if you're watching, somebody just Instagram messaged me. They were like, I just enjoyed contemporary dance for the first time because of your book. 
And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about instead yeah. of watching dance and thinking about it, this is stupid. How long is it? What is this supposed to mean? Where do they get those tights? You know, whatever it is, just stop thinking and say yes, thank you to it. Yeah. So my point is- Start you can, having sex with everything that is. Exactly. That's how you have sex with everything that is. That's right. So instead of collecting the botanical garden, you could get more out of the first bench you see and the first flower you see. You could plop down and just look at that flower. And and that is the great, the, the Buddha didn't give a lot of like sermons, but one of his most famous sermons is he just held up a flower and that's it. He just goes, look, something is, something is unfolding, something wanted to be. I'm adding language. You don't even have to add language to it. And the way that we can slip our brains a 50 and tell them to take the day off is by, it's almost like overwatering a flower. You just go like, I'm just going to water you with, yes, thank you. I'm only going to give you that thought. So it's, it, I believe it's called Yana Yoga. It's using the brain to beat the brain. And that's one of my favorites because my brain is difficult to shut down. So I go like, okay, we'll make a deal. You can think, but you can just think, yes, thank you. And if you go, you find yourself slipping away and you start going like, this painting is stupid or, or whatever, or look at the brushstrokes, you just bring it back without judgment. You just bring it back to yes, thank you. And yeah. that, that is, that's it. Uh -huh. When you're having sex, and I literally mean real sex, you're often think. <laughs> I, I caught myself... I'm 40 years old. I just started to put this together. I was thinking about sex. You're like, okay, well, this is the beginning and you know, we'll get her and then uh, then it'll be my turn and maybe what position would be the, the ultimate orgasm for me? Like you're just sort of thinking about sex even when you're in the most like rapturous yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking about it. You're trying to maximize it like, like a pizza with cheese baked into the crust. You know, you just want to like feel as much of it and as enjoy it as much as you can which is fucking nonsense it's like yeah yeah be there just say yes thank you to just the kissing you know my wife likes kissing more than i do but that's because i realize she's a more present person than i am huh. she's more in her heart than she is i'm thinking where's my erection how strong is it am i ready to go you know what yeah. i mean and she's thinking yeah how warm his lips are or 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 how close we are or whatever it is she, or she's not thinking and that's how yeah. you that's how you have sex with your wife that's how you have sex with the museum and that's how you have sex with the Knicks game and there's your title there you go. <laughs> wow dude that was a perfect you really put a, a bow on it right yeah there. that's it i mean it's 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 not wrong though i mean we if i the idea was how do you make friends with change i mean the answer ultimately is you say yes thank you yeah you that's know? right it also occurs to me that it's not too different from improv, I guess, which is yes and, right? No, I have a book on my desk by Richard Rohr that's called Yes And. And mm -hmm. I, I thought that was so funny that he wrote a book that's, that could be an improv book, but it's a book about contemplative prayer. It's yes huh. and. It's like, go. it's flowing. And, and Richard has this great thing where he says, the first forgiveness is to reality. We forgive reality for being as awful as it is and as wonderful as it is. Huh. That forgiveness, is it's a very Buddhist idea. It's, it's to not resist it. And that's where you can find nirvana or the kingdom of heaven or whatever you want to call it. It's to not resist. It's interesting to hear you talk about Christianity now because it, you know, having read the book, obviously when you were growing up, you had a lot of questions about it and I think probably didn't really buy into it. And now you're clearly bought into it, but it's because you had to sort of get away from it. I just find that really interesting. Well, I mean, it's it's all in the story if you look at yeah. it. I don't mean my book. I mean, it's in 
the Jesus story. It's like we think that our job as faithful people often we're handed a, I, I write in the book, it's like we're handed a hot potato and uh, we think it's our job to hold on to the first potato we were handed. The potato that told you that all of your atheist friends were going to hell and all your Buddhist friends and your Muslim friends and your Jewish friends were going to hell. So I dropped the potato, even though I vowed many times at countless altar calls and two <laughs> baptisms, never to drop the potato. And I dropped the potato and I thought I was a bad boy and I thought I was in trouble. And it turns out, that that's where the mystery was seducing me to come. It was saying, yeah, let's go through some pain. Let's go through some loss. Let's go through some change. And on the other side, it's not another potato. It's a completely different game altogether. And that is your resurrection. Why did you have two baptisms? I was baptized, baptized in the Catholic Church as a baby. And then when I was, uh, eight, when I was 18, I had an elective baptism. <laughs> that's why. Uh, <laughs> I just want to follow up on one thing, which was... You talked in there about, um, I think when you were referencing someone at a botanical garden, looking at a rose and comparing it to another rose they had seen before, you referred to as running the program. Yeah. So I'm curious as a new father, right? Yeah. How old's your daughter? She's eight months this week. Eight months. That's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. How do you reckon with the fact that the program like will also, like she has to, just like you were talking about, you want Ricky Gervais to be Ricky Gervais and everyone has their own path. Like yeah. the program will get run on her as well. Yeah. And in some ways that's, I imagine, difficult to reckon with, like the fact that she will have to figure out her own path as well. And I'm just curious, you know, because when I was, when you were talking, I was originally thinking in my head, how do you keep the program from being run on your daughter? But obviously you can't, and I don't think you'd want that because like we're talking no. about, you have to sort of go on the journey to come home. Right. So I'm curious how you reckon with that as a father of just knowing that the program will get run. No, I mean, you said it. I mean, my daughter is the teacher. She's the teaching. She She's not something for me to teach. I will say that I don't think anybody rejects openness, spaciousness, and unconditional love. That is what we're here to do. I say to my daughter mm -hmm. almost every day, I say, you're welcome here. I say, she's welcome. And I say that I'm here to help. Those are my two mantras for the baby. I go, I'm here to help. Wow. When do you say that to her? When I'm holding her, when she's, she doesn't understand, but I think, you know. Yeah, you, yeah. I swear the baby's a great experiment for like vibration, like frequency, like she can feel a wilting. Maybe it's muscular. I'm not saying it has to be woo, -woo uh. but she feels something that's happening in my body when I say that. So it's really for me, huh, but you know, she might be absorbing it. Who knows? But Alan Watts has this great quote where he says, we don't come into the world. We think of babies coming into the world. Like you came into the world. I came into the world. Like I was somewhere else. And he's like, you didn't come into the world, you came out of the world. So my baby and her life, we can use the Buddhist and the Hindu word that she has karma, or we could just keep it psychological and say she, she has attractions and aversions built into her psychology, built into the gray matter of her brain. She's becoming, I'm watching her make preferences for certain toys, certain positions, certain whatever, like she certain outfits, like what's more comfortable. So we're watching her build her identity because the chapter in my book about my baby is luminous emptiness, but I'm watching her become somebody and that's lawful too. Ramdas says, to quote our boy, he says, you have to be somebody before you can be nobody. This is why, by the way, he says, you know, you shouldn't take 
psychedelics until you're older. I completely yeah. agree with that. Like you don't even know what you're playing with. She's tripping all the time right now. You know what I mean? I don't I don't exactly. need her yeah, yeah, yeah. to take yeah. psychedelics now. The the world is a hallucination. And then later, if she wants to, you can bend and manipulate that phenomenon. Once you've taken it as a foregone conclusion, that's the time to maybe play with it through meditation or through medicines, or whatever. But um, she needs to have her stuff. You know what I mean? And I'm sure she'll love sugar and I'm sure she'll have her time with booze or, or weed or whatever it is or vaping. I mean, all the kids are vaping. The, th <laughs> this is this is her stuff. That's why I say you're welcome. So I'm glad you're here. That's an important message for parents to tell their children, especially fathers to daughters. They look in our eyes mm -hmm. and they say, am I valuable? Do I matter? So you just give them as much of that as you can. And then you say, I'm here to help. But that doesn't mean mm -hmm. she's not going to like, they're not even mistakes. You know, it's good. Again, it's not going to yeah. be easy, but I have to be like, yes, you have to suffer. You have to suffer. You don't change if you don't suffer, but she can do whatever she wants because one of my beliefs is no matter what we're doing, no matter what dance we're dancing, whatever game we're playing, whatever we do, at some point, and this is an Alan Watts kind of metaphor, he's like, at some point, we're all going to take our masks off and we're going to go backstage and we're going to have a big laugh. You know what I mean? I don't mean yeah. literally our egos, our minds, our stories will do that and know we're doing it. I'm saying that is what I think is going on here. So there has to be a yes and a respect and an allowance while at the same time trying to give her some wisdom, trying to give her some help, trying to give her some guidelines, trying to give her some structure, trying to give her some discipline, just enough to have her be free. It's the same thing I say to my wife. I say, Val, I want you to be free. I don't want you to be mine. I want you to be free. I don't want you to be my wife. I want you to be free. I don't want you to be a woman. I want you to be free. I, I don't want you to be an American. I want you to be free. I don't want you to be 30. I want you to be free. I want you to be free. I want you to be Liberated free. Liberated consciousness, baby. That's right. And I want everybody to be free. And that's a big point Love of the it. book is I don't care yeah. if you agree or disagree. I want you to be free. That's it. I like that. I think that's a great place to end. Although by end, I mean transition to with the last question we always ask everybody. Yeah. Which is for a favorite fuck up <laughs> that you come back to time and time again and be like, oh, that actually served me. Yeah. Um, or maybe it didn't serve you. I always put parameters on this, but it should just be whatever comes to mind when I say your favorite fuck up. My favorite fuck up. I'll give you one that I haven't said. There's a lot of fuck ups in the book. <laughs> yes. There's some funny. Well, they're not really fuck ups because it always comes back around for you. Right. That's like. true. That's true. They always end up at least at the very least being opportunities to love yourself or to be loved or whatever. But um, I remember I was talking to a musician. Oh, I forget who it was. It was like a famous musician. Who sings that song? You're not going to know it. People will know who that if they know her, they'll go like, oh, the dolphin song or it's called folding chair. Anyway, great musician. I was talking okay. to her. <laughs> we did a show together in New York. And I was Regina Spector. Regina Spector, yeah. So I was talking I Googled to, it. I was talking to Regina Spector backstage. And my wife loves Regina Spector. And I I love her too. Uh, my wife is a super fan though. And I was talking to her and I met her husband. And we were talking for some reason. It came up like we were just joking around her husband dying. Like for some reason, the weird comedian in me, when the idea of her husband dying came up, I went, great record. It would give us a great record. Like, why? 
Why would I say <laughs> if your husband died, hey, would get a great record out of it? That is oh, a fu- no. that is a fuck up. That as soon as I said it, I was like, okay, I've gone, I've drifted too far from the <laughs> from the dock. I've hung out with <laughs> with too many comedians. We love talking and making the joke that you're not supposed to make because she so clearly loves her husband and he so clearly loves her that they both were like, oh, go no. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like it was, I was, that is, there, like I said, there's lots of fuck ups in the book, but that is a fresh fuck up that I've never told anybody. Just was your wife with up. you? No, she wasn't even there. It was just me, a weird guy that she doesn't know going, <laughs> hey, we'd get a really good record out of that tragedy. <laughs> It's like, Pete, you got to rein it in a little bit, pal. So when you told your wife Val, how did she respond? I think she was mortified because she wants... Yeah, I'm sure. She wants very badly to be friends with Regina. So Regina, well, if you, you hear that this... Up, Pete. <laughs> or this public apology will be a, a grand gesture that will lead to a seated meal and then a lifetime of friendship. Good save. <laughs> <laughs> this has been tremendously fun. So I appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure, man. It was awesome. That's the show. Thank you, Pete Holmes, for coming on and sharing your insights. Again, his book, Comedy Sex God, is out. Go check it out. Thank you to Jessamine, Molly, our producer, and thank you to you guys for listening. If you guys like the show, please rate, please subscribe. If you want to write a review, you would get an extra, extra gold star for that. Thanks so much for listening. I will see you guys next week.